Glad you're here on this summer Sunday. Today is going to be heavy um, on teaching. It's going to require a little bit more effort on your part to engage. By God's grace, you'll be able to study and stay engaged throughout. And I, I guarantee you, you will be encouraged and blessed through God's word. Let's go ahead and pray before we start. Father, we come before you through the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, and we can only access you through his death and the resurrection on our behalf. And we acknowledge that we are still living in a sinful world, and we are broken people, and we come before you through Jesus, and we beg for help. We ask right now for grace and perspective. We, we've seen so much suffering over the past week. We ask for mercy in France to those who are suffering in the aftermath of the attacks. May your peacemakers in Christ's name be there. And we pray for the unrest in Turkey and the missionaries who have come from our church a variety of time and a variety of missionaries there. May you use them to bring your truth to a variety of, un of unknown and unrest. And Lord, even in our own country, we continue to ask for grace and mercy to the families of Flando Castile and Alta Serling and the police officers in Dallas. And we continue to ask for justice and mercy and grace. But Lord, today, we are going to take our request even further. And we ask that you would show us how are we supposed to act and love in a world of injustice? What are we supposed to do in a world of terrorism? What do you want us to do as we think about poverty, orphans, refugees? What is our part? Please show us not only corporately but individually what are we supposed to be doing. May your word this morning awaken us. Awaken us to pray. Awaken us to obedience. Awaken us to step out in faith and engage with the suffering of our world. Lord, be with us now and speak truth. In Jesus' name, amen. At Evanston Bible Fellowship, we have five ethos statements that guide our structures and commitments and priorities. These ethos statements describe who we are and who we want to be. You don't need to memorize these, but they are humble orthodoxy, abiding worship, missional community, invested sojourners, and pervasive gospel. What we are doing this summer is that we are going through the book of Ezra, and we're taking timeouts occasionally to cover each of our ethos statements. So we're breaking from Ezra this week. And a couple of weeks ago, we covered humble orthodoxy. You may remember humble orthodoxy means we hold to the truth of God's word without the attitude. In humility, we stay anchored in the truth no matter the cultural storms that blow against us. Today, we are covering abiding worship, which means that we aim to abide in Christ with our whole selves and live a life of obedience and worship in everything we do. It's the image of staying connected to the vine and bearing fruit in all our endeavors for the glory of God. Keep in mind, it's not just singing and worship, but it's all of life obedience to the Word of God. 
part of this abiding of what it looks like to stay connected to Christ to bear fruit, part of this abiding comes through prayer. This morning, I'm going to talk about prayer. And I am going to return to familiar verses that I keep going to time and time again on prayer. And I've actually covered these verses with you before on a Sunday morning, but I can't get away from Jesus' words with regard to prayer. Yes, we have the Lord's Prayer, but he also speaks on prayer at, on other occasions. And, and these verses I can't get away from. And, I, and I, I'm looking forward to sharing them with you again today. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. Turn to John 14. In John chapters 13 through 17, it's traditionally called the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. It's Jesus' parting words of encouragement to his disciples before his death. What I want to do is highlight a particular theme that Jesus repeats several times. It's as if Jesus wanted his disciples and us to get something, so he repeated it several times. Jump around with me. Starting in verse 13 of John chapter 14. Verse 13 of John 14. Let me read it to you. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jump with me to chapter 15. John 15, verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Look further down in chapter 15 at verse 16. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then jump to John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. John 16, 23 and 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. If I'm reading these verses correctly, and I've returned to them time and time again over the year, but if I am reading these verses correctly, I have to conclude you should expect answers to your prayers. You should expect answers to your prayers. Not, I'm not talking about, well, you go and you pray and God says, sure, I'll give that to you. Or, no, I'm not going to give that to you. Or God says, wait. But in this context, if I'm understanding these verses rightly, that you can pray in a certain way and that you will get an answer the way you prayed it. Do you ever think about prayer like that? Maybe you think about prayer like this. Okay, I go to God, I make a request. He's probably not going to do it, but at least I prayed. (laughs) 
it seems what Jesus is saying is that you can pray in a certain way and you will get that answer the way you pray. Let me show you a quote from an old-timey preacher. Love what he says. R.A. Torrey says this. He says, The doctrine of prayer, according to the Bible, is that there are certain people who can pray in a certain way and who will get not merely some good thing or something just as good as what they ask or something even better than what they ask, but they will get the very thing that they ask for. You should expect answers to your prayer. One of our ethos leaders was out walking around the neighborhood. He was praying for his ethos community. And he said, Lord, I just want to see fruit. Lord, let me see fruit. Let me see fruit. And as he's walking, on the ground is a fruit cup filled with fruit. Now, it's not as if that God misunderstood that the guy was asking for spiritual fruitfulness, not to see actual fruit, and I have no idea what to make of that story or that guy's experience, but it seems from the context here that Jesus is saying, hey, you can pray in a certain way, and God will hear you, and he will answer your prayers in the way you prayed it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do a little study, and we're going to say, hey, what does that really mean? (laughs) Come on, does it really mean that? It must mean something else. So spend the next 30 minutes telling us that it really doesn't mean that, right? That's what I'm supposed to do now. I'm supposed to somehow dismiss Jesus' words. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to explain it, but I'm certainly not going to dismiss it. In fact, I actually want you to do something by the time we're done here and think about some things you want to pray about. If you notice on the back of your bulletin, I have these five uh, bullet points of emptiness that you can fill with your prayers. Because we don't want to just talk about praying. We actually want to pray and get you engaged where you can pray specific things and cry out to God and have expectations of Him hearing you. This morning, as we go through here, this expectant prayer, I want to kind of let you know where we're going if you'd like to take notes. So let me put up this kind of guide of expectant prayer. This is where we're going. We're going to talk about the condition of expectant prayer. We're going to talk about the goal of expectant prayer, the hindrance, the disappointment as we've prayed and God has not answered at times, and the joy. And it's really going to take your engagement, not just me talking, because we are going to study and go through different verses. You have to stay engaged, right? Let's do this. John chapter 14, once again, John 14. Let's make sure that we're reading this rightly. Start in verse 13 again. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It seems that the first condition of answered prayer or expectant prayer, it's very clear here that it must be in Jesus' name. That means that every prayer you pray, you better end with in Jesus' name. I'm just kidding. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that at all. 
What this is talking about is when you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying not just on the authority of Jesus, but you're praying in line with his character, who he is. In the ancient world, a person's name contained their character, who they were and what they were like. Even today, when we mention someone's name, their character comes to mind. Right now, I can say, think of Billy Graham. Think of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. How's it going? What's coming to your mind, right? You're thinking of character. When you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying in line with his character, his work, and his authority. As you approach God, you are going to pray something consistent with the character of Jesus based upon his authority. That's clear what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now, the second condition that I think is a condition in this context is that the prayer must be related to the work of God in your life and the work of God in the world. I'm, once again, just setting the context. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. Look at verse 12, the verse right before this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. This is astonishing. Jesus is saying, not only did he do great works, but those who believe in him or will believe in him are going to do greater works. That would be you. You are going to do greater works than Jesus. (laughs) What does that mean? Perhaps it means greater works in the extent, like Jesus' works were just in Israel, right? And now his people fill the earth with good works. It could also mean greater in the sense of when the works occur. Maybe it's a reference to the, to the uh, Jesus died on the cross, and now you were after the cross and the resurrection, and now you are doing works in the context of a fuller experience of the known gospel. So whatever and however you slice and dice this verse, the reality is that Jesus wants to do his work on this earth, but now it is through the power of the Holy Spirit through year, and these greater works come through prayer. Now, I'm just curious. I don't want to see a show of hands, but chances are some of you have watched some television preachers. Uh, Maybe you've gone to certain churches that have been more in the vein of Uh, what we would call health and wealth churches. And these are popular verses. And these verses have tended to contribute to sermons that say if you pray in Jesus' name, it means that if you pray with enough faith, you will get a big house, an expensive car, and a hot date if you pray in Jesus' name. That's not the context here. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the context of God's people doing greater works than Jesus and extent throughout the world and praying in line with his character and praying with faith. That's the context. Back in the day, people used to wear these bracelets. I'm sure some of you wore the shirts, uh, the WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? But I think this context is more of a um, WWJP, right? What would Jesus pray? What would he pray 
if he were here among us today, we know he would teach us the Lord's Prayer, of course. But in this context here, what would Jesus pray? What would he pray? And we, his people, are to pray along those lines. Can I throw out some suggestions of prayers I believe Jesus wants to answer? How about prayers like this? Lord, give me boldness in telling someone about Jesus. Lord, please present an opportunity where I can talk to someone about you. Or or how about this? Father, there is a, a lot of injustice in this world. Show me in Jesus' name my part in bringing peace and mercy and grace. Or how about this? Lord, I, I, I really want to contribute more money to your kingdom work. Make me faith-filled to give more money away for your glory. How about that? You think he's going to answer that prayer? Of course. How about this? I'm a dad leading my family. I'm not always very nice or gentle. Lord, please make me gentle and kind and leading my wife and kids. Did you see this? We're praying these prayers in the context of, of his work in our life and his work in the world. And that is the context of praying in line with the character and the authority of Jesus Christ. So that is the condition of expectant prayer in line with the character and the authority of Jesus in the context of works in this world. So that's the that's the, the first one. The second one is the goal of expectant prayer. I hope you're still with me. What is the goal? Why would Jesus look at you and decide to answer your prayers? What is the goal of expectant prayer? I want you to see it. It's there in verse 13. Did you see it? Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The motive here for answering your prayer is that the Father be glorified through your works for his glory, by the power of his spirit, through his Son. As Jesus brought glory to the Father, so now you bring glory to the Father as you pray and God answers your prayer. So if Jesus wants more and more praise and honor and glory to go to the Father, and you want to have your prayers answered, how can you start to pray more in line with the way Jesus wants you to pray so that he can answer your prayers so the Father is glorified? What does that look like? How can we pray more prayers in line with God's will? Now we come to chapter 15. Look at chapter 15. John 15, starting in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, here it is, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The context is fruit bearing. We pray to bear fruit and fruit brings glory to God. And this is connected with the condition of our praying prayers in line with his work. It means that you pray, 
Say, God, I really want to, I want to see people come to know Jesus. And this fruit-bearing can be converts. It can be me making disciples. This fruit-bearing can have a life full of love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. This fruit-bearing can say, God, use me as an instrument of justice and peace in this world. The idea is that you pray for fruit and good works, and by his grace, God answers your prayer. And through him answering your prayers, he is glorified. And we all want to participate in that. We all want our prayers answered. We all want to bring glory to God. And the question is, how can you pray better in such a way that your life would bring glory to the Father? Well, keep looking once again. Verse 7. He says it again. Chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Abiding in Jesus, staying him, him through faith and prayer and obedience. We abide in the vine. We bear fruit. We keep following him. But notice that he says there, abide in me and my words abide in you. That is, as God's word is having this permeating effect on your heart and in your mind and it's settling deep down into you. It's controlling your thoughts and your motives and prayers. And when God's word is in you and it's directing your life, then you're praying according to his will and he will answer that prayer. Now, this is the, this is the book of the Gospel of John, but John also writes in 1 John, I'm going to put this up for you, 1 John 5 through uh, 14 through 15. This is a good uh, verse to memorize as well. This is good. It says, And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. <laughs> That's an interesting verse. It seems that John is upping the prayer quotient and believes that you have already received what you've asked for because you are so attuned to Jesus and his will. When you're consumed with God's word, then you'll more likely pray according to the will of God and have your prayer answered and God will be glorified. So far, so good, right? So Jesus wants us to pray according to his authority in line with his character, right? And he wants to answer our prayers to bring glory to God. So we want to pray better like that. We get in the word. We want to abide in him. We want to participate in his work. So we pray in line with his will. So far, so good. So what can hinder this process? What are some of the hindrances of expectant prayer? One of the things that I've noticed in my own life is that I often have a disconnect between the way I am living and the way I am praying. There's a disconnect from the way I am living and the way I am praying. Now, I'm not saying that we're, we're saved by works, we're saved by grace. I'm not saying you have to be perfect before you start praying. But often I notice a disconnect where I will live one way and I will radically pray differently. And perhaps God is not answering my prayers because of the way I'm living. There are some actual verses in the Bible like that. Let me bring your attention to one. This is in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, 7. This is uh, the Apostle Peter is directing this toward husbands. So husbands, you might want to close your ears if you don't want to hear this. Here we go. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, if you are harsh with your wife, this verse is very clear that your prayers are being hindered. The way you treat your wife impacts your prayers. You may think that you can act a certain way toward your wife, diss her, be mean to her, come to church, go to a prayer meeting, and all's good. Not the case. Because there is a connection between the way that you're living and what you are praying. And God is always involved with all of it. We were talking about this last week, this verse last week in our ethos, and someone said, you know what, I'm sure the same application could be real to the way parents treat their kids. If parents are harsh with their kids and mean toward their kids, anybody, anybody, perhaps their prayers are hindered as well. Your life matters as it is part of your prayers. Don't misunderstand me. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But as you're walking with the Lord, your life matters as it is part of your prayers. You cannot separate it. Psalm 66, 18. If I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. <laughs> if you have something going on, a habitual sin, and you're crying out to God about something totally unrelated, the Lord is not going to listen. It's, it's like the man or the woman, Lord, let me see lots of converts this year. Let me give away more money to you. And God's like, hey, hey, let's stop all that. Let's deal with that habitual sin in your life that you're ignoring. There's a connection between the way that we're living and God hearing our prayers. Consider this other verse from 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Once again, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We don't have to be perfect for God to hear our prayers. But if you're living in such a way, whether you're harsh with your wife, with your kids, habitual sin, don't think that your life is disconnected from your prayers. It, it is connected Okay, so we got the condition. We know that. Okay, we want to bear fruit. We want to bring glory to the God. We see the hindrances. By the way, you can spend all afternoon on that one, the hindrances. But let's say we come before the Lord. We're asking, we believe we're asking according to his will. We believe we're asking the right things. We've talked to our brothers and sisters. We're open about our own issues. We're talking to people. We come to the Lord in prayer, and he doesn't do it. That ever happened to any of you? <laughs> yeah, happens to me, right? Happens to you. What about when God doesn't a answer the prayer the way that you asked it? And this is where we come to the disappointment of expectant prayer. Why do some prayers go unanswered in the way that you ask them? One of the best books I've ever read on prayer is not a book. It's a big systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. But he has a chapter on prayer that is gold. I'd recommend reading it. A lot of you have that big book in your house. But just read the section on prayer. It's really good. But he touches on this concept of processing unanswered prayer. So let's do a little processing here of unanswered prayer because I know many of you are wondering. Let's process it together. Maybe God didn't answer your prayer because, number one, God's timing 
is not always our timing, and we have to wait. Remember the Jews praying for the Messiah for centuries to come, but God brought Jesus at just the right time. Maybe it's just not the right time. Number two, maybe you don't know what to pray for. You're not quite sure what you should pray for. The Bible tells us from Romans chapter 8, 26 with regard that the Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness. Sometimes we just don't know how to pray. And sometimes it's okay just to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I do not know what to pray for, but I am in anguish here and I'm going to call out to you. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Number three, maybe when you come to the Lord to pray, you don't pray according to God's will. Remember that from James chapter 4, we talked about that last fall, that you can come to the Lord with selfish motives. You're praying a certain way, but it's, it's all about your own self-interest. You're not praying according to God's will. You're just praying about your own will. Number four, you don't ask in faith. James chapter 1 talks about coming and not believing. You come to the Lord, you say, Lord, here I am again, but you're probably not going to do anything. I don't really trust you to do anything. I'm just going to throw it out there, do what you want. There's just no faith involved at all. And number five, you lock in on one solution when God has a better one. That would basically be the story of Joseph. <laughs> Went through a lot of trials. And God was using him for the preservation of his people, Israel. And sometimes we lock in on one solution and God has a better one that he wants to use in our life. A couple things that may be helpful to you, the experience of this unanswered prayer. Remember when Jesus was in the garden suffering and he prayed for another way? Remember in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I think that is an appropriate disposition. Maybe you've been in a Bible study before and people have told you, don't ever say, God, your will in prayer. Because once you say your will, you're killing faith. Not so. Not so at all. You can be full of faith and still say, God, your will be done. It's not a faith crusher. He knows his best. Another person who experienced unanswered prayer is the Apostle Paul. Remember the thorn in the flesh? He asked God to remove it three times. Yet God said to him, remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9? He said to me, my faith is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God in his sovereignty sometimes chooses to go in a different direction the way we are praying but we must keep praying. And I think in the process, we will notice that our prayers start to be bent and shaped more in line with God's will. I know it's difficult when you have your prayers unanswered, but know that God still loves you, still cares about you, and he still has a plan that he is working out for his glory. The last thing I want to mention to you is the joy of expectant prayer. Did you see the joy in John chapter 16? The last passage, look at John 16, starting in verse 23. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive 
that your joy may be full. God wants to answer your prayers, and part of the reason why he wants to answer your prayers is not just to bring glory to the Father, but he wants to give you joy. And there is something about going to the Lord in prayer, asking in the name of Jesus, and God answering our prayers. There's something very joy-giving about that. Fills us with so much hope and joy that we have this real interaction with a real God who actually hears us. He intervenes in history, and he answers our prayers, and it gives us joy. God wants to answer prayers. These are gifts from your heavenly Father. He loves giving his children good gifts. Do not think that God wants to give you junk. I know some of you have this, you have issues with God right now. You think he just wants to give me junk. He just wants to throw junk to me. I pray for one thing and he just gives me junk in return. That is not the case. That is not a loving heavenly Father. Those are twisted, messed up thoughts that Satan is throwing in your head and throwing in your heart. That's not true. The father does not give junk to his children. I know there's a lot of stuff you're going through right now, but he is still in control and loves you. And he doesn't want to give you junk. And whatever you're going through, there's a reason and a purpose in his sovereign will that he knows. Consider this passage. Matthew chapter 7. You've got to get this one. This is good. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? I, I am not a good dad, and yet I don't mess with my children to this extent where they would ask for bread, and I'd say, Here, here's a, a big rock. Or, or they would ask me specifically for a fish, and I'd say, no, 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 let's go with a snake. I'm a bad dad, and yet I want to give good gifts to my children. Your Father in heaven who sent his son Jesus to save you, fill with your spirit, seal you for eternity, loves you and desires to give good gifts to you ones that bring him glory, ones that participate in his work in the world. And the outcome is joy. I have had so much joy in God answering uh, prayers that I've prayed along with many of you to see churches planted out of our church. Just as people would have joy in the birth of children, I have joy in the birth of churches as we've planned it three so far, working on our fourth. That is, comes from seasons of prayer, and it gives us much joy to see God is using a small congregation like us to plant churches. That gives me a lot of joy. I would encourage you to review these verses this afternoon, and I believe these verses are screaming to us. You should expect answers to your prayer. And I'm going to go ahead and go old school. This is very old school and encourage you to make a prayer list. Remember that prayer list? Remember those back in the day? Maybe your grandma did that or your parents did that. Don't go old school where you do like 100 pages of prayer lists. That's fine. You can do that. But let's start simple. Five prayer requests that you want to talk to God about that you can put on the back of your bulletin. You can be as specific as you want in your request. And I want to encourage you to take the time to pray these prayers on a daily basis. 
Maybe you want to share these with somebody else. Maybe share it with your spouse. You guys can pray together. But pray these prayers, and some will not be answered overnight, and some may not come so fast, and maybe sometimes it won't change. But my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this. Don't be surprised. God starts answering your prayers. I know we talked about the hindrances. Keep those in mind. We talked about sometimes prayers not answered the way. We're always thinking it's going to be answered. Maybe God has another plan. But write out your request and start praying in line with God's will, according to his word, on a daily basis. And let's let this praying begin today. In a moment, we're going to have the the elders and their wives available for prayer, and maybe you want to just bring up your list and say, go through this with me right now. Let's pray these things right now. Well, we can do that. But we want to pray in the name of Jesus and in line with his work and will in this world and have God answer our prayers to bring him so much glory and to bring us joy as well. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, in the character of Jesus. And we ask you specifically that you would enable us to bear fruit, to pray to bear fruit, and have our prayers answered for the glory of the Father and for our joy. And we only can approach you because of Jesus' perfect life and death and resurrection for us. And we ask that you would hear our prayers based upon his perfect righteousness. But Lord, we know that in our lives there are some things that we are doing and thinking and cherishing in our hearts that are hindrances to our prayer. Some of the men in here have been harsh with their wives convict them right now to repent. Some of the women in here have been harsh with their husbands. Convict them in their hearts right now. And Lord, some of us are cherishing secret sin, sin that we just keep going back to over and over again. And we act as if our lives are not connected to you answering our prayers or not. Lord, forgive us for these sins. May we find them washed in the blood of Jesus. Lord, we just ask that you make us people of faith when we see that our prayers sometimes are not answered, that we wouldn't stop, that we wouldn't give up, that we would keep going and keep coming to you. And for those things that remain, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, the things that you allow to keep coming our way for a reason, we trust you with those things as we've cried out many, many hours and days for people to change and they don't change and we have to still love them. We ask for grace. For those days and hours and months and years, we've prayed for healing, and yet healing has still not come. We ask for grace and mercy to continue to persevere and allow you to shape us and shape our prayers. And Lord, may you do something now through the prayers of your people. Do something now as we are reminded of the access we have to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.